It's always difficult to come to the end of a series because then it's time to begin a new series. And not that I don't enjoy beginning a new series, but I don't necessarily enjoy having to decide, excuse me, which series we're going to go to next. So been praying and uh, talking to a few people to say what, where should we go next? Sometimes you guys ask me that question like in the middle of a series, and I generally just don't don't know <laughs> until till the series is done. I just like, well, what's the what next week's sermon? Lord willing, is just the next text. But um, trusting God and His His grace and His wisdom, and it's not like there's a bad option, which is a good thing too. It's like which which book? Well, any of them are good, all breathed out by God and profitable for us. But uh, we will be journeying through the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Uh, starting this week. Not sure how long that will will take us. Uh, And no, I don't know what the next series is after this, so please don't ask. But we're going to spend some time in Colossians, and I'm very, very excited for my own sake and for our sake to do this. I hope that you are familiar with, uh, maybe not perfectly familiar, but at least somewhat familiar with the book of Acts, the history of the church, Uh, following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and how it went from a small group uh, on on a mountain or enough of people, so few people that could fit in one upper room to something that spread around the entire Roman Empire uh, in a few decades, all the way from Israel round into Spain and then down into Africa, going from one, one location to three continents uh, in the, the course of really the lifespan of, of a few individuals. Absolutely astounding. And then from there, over the last 2,000 years, continuing to spread around the world. But in the book of Acts, and no, I'm not preaching Acts, uh, starts off sort of focusing on the apostle Peter, and then as I, I hope you are familiar, uh, shifts to following the apostle Paul. Uh, his Hebrew name is Saul. It talks about his, his persecution of the church and then moves into giving an account of his conversion. Um, when Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus and he kind of uh, stays in obscurity and then rises to prominence in the early church and then travels around, sent out as uh, a missionary, sent out to plant churches, really sent out as an apostle a sent one, an official uh, significant capacity on a number of different missionary journeys. Three of them are recorded. He goes on a, a tour, planting churches, staying different amounts of time in different places, returns back. He goes and visits some of them again, views some other places, and he, then he goes on a third missionary journey. Various cities in what we now know as Turkey and Greece, kind of centering around portions of the Mediterranean and now the Aegean Seas, if you are familiar with geography, which I know a number of you are. At the end of his third journey, Paul wants to return to Jerusalem. Been a long time since he had been there. Wants to return to Jerusalem in Israel. He arrives there safely, not without some difficulty and not without a number of warnings. And in entering into the temple complex, she's Jewish, he had every right to do that. Entering into the temple complex and preaching the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen and is the savior of Jews and Gentiles, uh, he is arrested. Uh, There's a riot. They wanted to murder him on the spot, but he's arrested by the Romans, 
Paul was a Roman citizen, and so he had right to a fair trial. He's arrested there in Jerusalem and then transferred to nearby Caesarea, and then was imprisoned there for around two years, sort of... um, if you understand how that account worked, it looked like he, the, the Roman governor or the king of that area, not Caesar at this point, but uh, Caesar it rules over all, and then there were local kings or governors, and um, the ones who were there looked like they wanted a bribe from Paul. They wanted a little bit of money under the table, and he did not provide that for them, so they um, just tried to forget him in a prison cell there in Caesarea until he softened up to the idea of buying his way out. But instead of doing that, he appealed to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. And uh, because of his Roman citizenship, which was a significant thing, Acts talks about that, uh, he had the right, by law, to appeal to Caesar in Rome um, and to be transferred, his whole trial, transferred to Rome to stand before Caesar to have judgment. And so he's transported then from Caesarea by Roman guard to the city of Rome. He gets shipwrecked along the way, almost executed. He doesn't, bit by a snake. Crazy stuff's happening in Acts, but the Lord is going to get him to Rome, and he does so. He arrives in Rome, the capital of the empire, capital of the world in that day. And Acts chapter 28 ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. And during his time imprisoned, Paul did not just sit around twiddling his thumbs. Uh, He remained busy for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. He met with anybody who would come and see him, Jews and Gentiles. And he also wrote letters and sent messengers to the churches that had been planted around the world. I trust that you are thankful that Paul was thrown in prison because it was during that time that we have letters such as uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon writing to these churches, was not able to visit them, hoped to be able to visit them face to face. But in the meantime, he wrote letters, letters which were inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved in sacred scripture and brought before us uh, for our, our benefit. One of the visitors that Paul received was a man named Epaphras. Epaphras was potentially converted under Paul's ministry, perhaps when he was in Ephesus. Paul spent a significant amount of time in the city of Ephesus, which is in Turkey. You can kind of see, if you Googled where was ancient Ephesus, probably come up, you know, you come up with some pictures of some ruins and those type of things. Uh, I put up a map, but I mean, we, I'm not. I'm flipping through the map of your Bible if you really want to see what it looks like on on a map. Uh, Don't want to spend too much time on that, but uh, Paul had spent a significant amount of time in the city of Ephesus, and people that were there in this hub heard the gospel, were converted by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then went back to where they came from and continued to spread the gospel there. Paul's ministry, and because it wasn't Paul's ministry, it was the Holy Spirit's ministry, multiplied through that type of preaching of the gospel. So Epaphras had Uh, perhaps converted under Paul's ministry, certainly he, wherever he heard the gospel from, wherever he became a believer, traveled back to Colossae to preach the gospel there, a city that would be uh, east of the city of Ephesus in a number of, it's actually a tri-city area. Uh, As we go through Colossians, we'll talk about a city of Hierapolis, uh, it's a more significant city of the day, and another one made sort of a triangle of these three cities was Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea is mentioned both in here. They got a letter that um, we either don't have or we know as the, the gospel, uh, the, uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Potentially that was um, 
something that had circulated to the city of Laodicea. And then the Apostle John uh, writes to them as well in one of the seven churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. So these other cities were significant. Colossae had been the most significant of these three cities about four or 500 years earlier than the writing of this letter. Uh, but at this point, it was by far the least significant of them. But yet, as I read one author talking about now, it's the most significant. All the cities have faded, but it's the most significant because a letter was written to them by the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. And so we all know its name, the city of Colossae, the Colossian church. Epaphras, uh, having planted this church, a church growing by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit formed in that city, and as happens in every church, in every place, in every time period, those believers faced opposition and difficulty. As you look through the letter, and as we'll see, it seems that there were two, two different groups that were opposing the advancement of the true biblical gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Colossae. And it, it could be that one group was, was more from the Hierapolis side, maybe another group from Laodicea, maybe not. Uh, but there were obviously temples in each of these cities, in every ancient city, for the worship of the Roman pantheon of gods and worship of the emperor. And that took on a number of different forms. That was true there as well. And so there were different sects of uh, paganism. I looked at different places, and some of them might have been more strict on things, and some of them may have been more loose on things. And another opposition that the church faced throughout the world in this time period was a, a Jewish faction, a Jewish faction that continued, like we see in Acts, like we see in Galatians, like we see in a number of passages, faced the opposition of just like, yes, okay, Gentiles can be followers of Christ as long as they're also law-abiding Jews. And so you have to have sacrifices. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to observe the festivals and the feasts, just like was in the Old Testament law. You, you're, you're only going to be a good, faithful Christian if you're first a good and faithful Jewish convert. Paul opposed that in the absolute strongest of terms, both in Acts and in Galatians. Uh, these that we would call the Judaizers. It seems that both of these, from wherever those cities were, were the ones that were trying to take the Colossians from following the truth of the gospel, which is centered on Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus does for us now, who he is, and our worship focused on him now and for all of eternity, and, and distract them from that. Looks like the distractions could have come in in a rigorous, self-driven religion, Maybe a Judaistic religion, maybe a, a strict pagan religion, imposing rules on yourself to control selfish, sinful urges. And then certainly that Jewish side of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. By faith alone, as long as you're also circumcised and you keep the festivals and the sacred days. So yeah, faith alone, as long as you add to that faith, these different works, which hopefully doesn't sound right. It's not faith alone if it's faith plus works. So Epaphras sees that uh, the church is in trouble because of these distracting influences. And so he travels to Rome to see Paul, get his counsel for the health of the Colossian church. In response, Paul wrote this letter that we call Colossians and sent it back, probably with Epaphras, along with two others, a man named Tychicus, described as a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant 
in the Lord, um, serving alongside of Paul, like men such as Luke, such as Timothy, such as Titus, Epaphroditus, other men like that that were uh, ministry assistants with Paul. Tychicus went uh, back and probably was the one to deliver the letter. And then also Onesimus. Onesimus was actually an escaped slave from Colossae of a Christian man who lived there named Philemon, part of this church. So if his name, Onesimus and Philemon, if that sounds familiar, it's because he received his own letter from Paul, uh, perhaps at the same time. A letter regarding how to treat his slave-turned-brother in Christ, this man Onesimus, and that inspired letters also part of the New Testament. Paul wrote to emphasize to the Colossian Christians that Christ is the center of everything. I heard a, watched a YouTube video that was kind of funny a few years ago, but also sort of poignant, uh, talking about people's uh, perception of Christians or Christians' reputation. And the point that these, this group was trying to make is that if you, uh, if you remove Christ from Christian, you're just left with Ian. And Ian is a jerk. <laughs> Ian is self-righteous. Ian is... Uh, perpetually arrogant and, and judgmental and just not somebody that you want to be around. But that's a Christian without Christ is the point that they were trying to make. And the point that Paul is trying to make is exactly really the same thing, that it's all about Christ. From Christ, all things. Through Christ, all things. Back to Christ is all things. He is the center, the sum and substance. It says somewhere he is all in all. Christ is the center of everything. Christ is the ruler over everything. And Christ is sufficient enough. He is sufficient for everything that we need in this life and in the life to come. When this letter arrived, the church would have gathered together on the Lord's Day, just like we have. And one of the messengers, perhaps Tychicus or Epaphras, would have read it to the believers assembled together. And apart from the language difference, because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, the original reading of the letter probably went something like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. The firstborn, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that, are all, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. In anticipation of of our study through this letter over the months to come, what I want to do now, different than what we would normally do in a gathering, I want to encourage each of us to spend a few minutes in prayer, uh, privately, individually, that the Lord would cause Christ to be exalted in our hearts and in our church through the letter of Paul to the Colossians, and that as we have received Christ as Lord, we might also walk in him. And then after a little while, I'll close us in prayer, and I'll call the worship team forward. God, you are Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by your grace and mercy that you sent him to be the image of the invisible God. You have appointed him to be head over all things. It is your will and for your glory that he would be preeminent over all of creation, and we as your church, his body, are meant to be the first fruits of that. Christ would be displayed as preeminent among us uh, to the eyes of a um, watching lost world. I could hear of our faith in Christ and our love for our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, because of the hope that we have laid up in heaven, as is declared in the gospel. Through our study of this letter, as you give us the opportunity to work through this, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We lack wisdom without you. You possess all wisdom through Christ, in whom are the the riches and the treasure of all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Through him, we have access to, to your wisdom, to a spiritual understanding, to know who you are, to know who we are, to know your grace toward us, to know how we are to live in this world awaiting your return, how we can be faithful to you. Please grant us this this wisdom, this understanding, the result that we would walk in a manner worthy of you. That's remarkable. We aren't worthy of you in anything. And yet, your word says that we, as justified, 
sinners through sanctification of your spirit can walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. By bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in our knowledge of you as our God. We must be strengthened by you for this with all power. And not our power, your glorious might. Omnipotence. Power that raised Christ from the dead has raised us and given us new life. We have endurance. We have patience in temptation and in suffering and in trials. And may we do that with joy. May we do all these things giving thanks to you as our Father, the one who has qualified we, the disqualified. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And you have delivered us from the domain of darkness that we loved. It was our condemnation. It was it was our damnation. It was our judgment. But we were willing, eager participants in the domain of darkness. And yet you have delivered us from that, transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. In him, we have redemption and we have the forgiveness of our sins. Please teach us of Christ. Please display him in glory as we seek to proclaim him to each other. As we seek to hear your spirit and your apostle proclaim it to us. Please glorify Christ in us individually and corporately and then through us to our children, to uh, our parents, to our brothers and sisters, and to our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, to the lost world, to the nations. May we proclaim Christ from him and through him and to him are all things. Amen.